listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is the podcast where we tackle different issues from around the world every week and this gentleman breaks it down for you, makes it very easy to understand. Dr. Keith Souter, very, very well-versed and in a great position to tackle this stuff. And that's all I really need to say, Dr. Keith. We've worked together for a couple of years. My name's Kate Mack. Getting into the future of food today because, quite frankly, it is a concern for the whole world, Keith. It's not even just Australia, but it's everywhere. Yep, so the middle, by the middle of this century, 70% more food will be needed to feed the global population, but 90% of the planet's soil could be gone and crop yields could reduce by up to 50%. So we're heading into a food crisis. Now, this is a report by the Commission for the Future, which is based in Canberra, but it's not a part of the Canberra government, so it's a standalone independent commission. It's called the Need for Strategic Food Policy in Australia. So it's available for free, Commission for the Human Future Policy Report. So it's an Australian document, and they have structured around seven recommendations. So what they're saying is that we've got a food crisis that's evolving in this country. You can see it now, of course, in in Australia, where we are losing good arable land around, uh, say, in our case, Sydney where there used to be the small vegetable gardens. They've all gone and people are building Mac mansions on the suburbs of Sydney. Um, I was recently out at the Hawkesbury, uh, Richmond area, and all those Mac mansions are being built on excellent farm soil. So we're actually building on land that we would need for cultivation. And so what they're doing is simply saying, look, we've got a real crisis that's emerging. At the moment, we in Australia can feed ourselves, but there are a lot of other countries that can't, and food riots lead to political instability. So the um, so-called Arab Spring, uh, which got underway in the year 2011 when it came to Syria, was triggered by um, a reduction in the availability of food in Syria. And so people, uh, because of the drought, were driven off the land, they went into the cities, and they got themselves caught up in all the political turmoil, which is led to that dreadful civil war in Syria. So this is a a very useful report. The first recommendation is that we should establish fit-for-purpose food policy governance to drive national food reforms, policies, and programs. Um, And so what they're looking at, therefore, is just simply to say, look, we need to get our act together in terms of the growing of food. Um, Food is a, a very important part of the Australian economy. Um, the overall value chain in Australia is worth over a third of a trillion dollars. So it's a, a really huge part of the economy, but the federal government does not have a strategic, coordinated, or integrated approach governing the food supply. And they produce on one page a list of all the gov- all the different documents that deal with Australia's food supply. So you've got the Department of Agriculture, Water, and the Environment. You've also got Food Standards Australia New Zealand, the Department of Health, which deals obviously with nutrition and obesity. You've got food security in remote Indigenous programs being led by the National Indigenous Australians Agency. Department of Home Affairs deals with biosecurity arrangements. Uh, So you've got to hope that's only part of this list that they've got in the document. So in other words, there's no one in overall control of food. So the first recommendation is, is just simply the that people get their act together 
in terms of being able to create an appropriate program. They're also looking at the issue of um, deteriorating soils and biodiversity, a lack of urban food production. Now, you were mentioning before we went on air that you were seeing some urban food production here in Sydney. We're not getting enough of it, but there are certainly some examples of that. Oh, yeah. So I was just saying that I've seen in um, very close to the city, actually, just driving past the southern part of the city around sort of Banksia, if anyone's familiar with Sydney, Banksia, Arncliffe sort of area, and there's just a few acres that have quite, they're surprising when you come across them amongst all the housing, but they're, it's obviously growing for herbs or lettuces and things like that that would be sold maybe at Fleming, Flemington Market, so I don't actually know. But it was unusual to see them because I'd heard that they exist, but I've never actually seen them. We're seeing um, urban food production in the United States as well. My, my favourite examples is Detroit, which is the old motor town, and the big car companies have moved out of Detroit, the factories are standing empty, and the prairies are beginning to reclaim the land. So what we're seeing then is the crumbling of the factories and the environment rebuilding over all these old factories. And we've now got communities being formed to grow food in the wreckage of all of these buildings. And the argument is that while they're growing fresh food, which is what's missing quite often in poorer areas in the United States, they live in food deserts, they become obese because there's no fresh food available. They're just living off processed food. So it it gets them out, it gets them socialising, they're getting to meet their neighbours and they're growing food. So what we've seen in Australia is this reduction in urban food production, the old Chinese gardens that they used to be called that used to exist here in Sydney and all the other major Australian cities growing vegetables. Now, those places have been removed because we need to get access to those lovely river sites for homes. And so uh, the complaint in this report is that there is a lack of urban food production. There's also a problem with water. And, of course, you're getting now a lot of foreign investors buying up water in this country as an investment. And so um, they then buy up the water licences to give them the control over the water. So there's a whole debate that could go on there regarding the way in which we're losing control over some of our own water. Another concern they've raised are the food oligopolies. In other words, Coles and Woolworths control 60% of all the fresh food and grocery sales. So two big stores controlling 60%. Uh, Kerrin controls 80% of Australia's drinking milk and Western Foods and Goodman Fielder control about 70% of bread and bread markets. So this is what's called oligopoly control, not monopoly. Monopoly is one big provider, but this is an oligopoly. So you have small number of big providers. Sort of like the oligarchs in Russia. Exactly, yep. And we've got food oligarchs in Australia. There's supply chain vulnerability. Um, So it's subject to bushfires, droughts, floods, etc. There's also a problem with soil and uh, and also declining nutrition. Built to that, of course, would be unhealthy diets as well and a lack of money going into research and development. So they've put forward a number of approaches. So one is that we should do something at the government level to try to centralise this and create um, a national food strategy. So we've first of all got to be thinking about a national food. We also need to have 
a national management program on soil health and land management. Reminds me of a project I was involved with, um, uh, a philanthropic entrepreneur called Franklin Scarf, part of the Scarf dynasty. And Franklin uh, created a campaign to replenish the soil. And this is one that I started with him over 30, almost 40 years ago now, when we were trying to recycle sewerage in this country, which they do very easily in New Zealand. But the, the um, Sydney authorities just well like to build longer and longer pipes and shuffle the stuff out to sea. But the argument is, well, we could start to um, replenish the soil and build it up. And so Franklin Scarf in this campaign looked at the recycling of sewerage, looked at growing edible gardens. That's what he's now got up in the Blue Mountains. So you go to visit him and he's got this lovely house and an edible garden. So we were talking earlier about urban food production. Well, you don't have to clear a large space. You can build it in your own garden. My father had grew his own vegetables. You did that in World War II and he just continued the practice. So in a sense, what this report is saying is not that radical. Just saying, look, guys, remember what we used to do? Let's go back to doing it. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We are talking about the future of food for a very good reason. There are not there is so much building going on in the world that we're not saving the good soil for 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 making food with. We're just building all over it to create housing. It's happening a lot here in Australia. Dr. Keith, what about this modified food um genetically modified food? I thought there's there something that's just passed legislation this week or regulation is about it has been lifted. How much of a how much of a role will, will sort of genetically modified food play in our future? Do you think? Well, the report doesn't buy into that debate with GMO, which is highly controversial. The argument with GMO is that GMO crops, because they become so tough, will need probably to have stronger and stronger weed killer applied to them, and so just to deal with the insects. But this is a highly controversial area, you could have some crops that are grown that are GM-free, but then you have somebody else who is using GM and the seeds from one field go into another and then contaminate it. It's a very controversial area. But some people have said that GM is, is inevitable if you're going to try to f- feed people. And so as societies get richer, so they tend to move up the food chain. So China, for example, which is importing huge amount of food, China, remember, used to be a major, well, it still is a major agricultural country. China is is getting richer, and so the people are developing more sophisticated tastes in food, including flying some of the seafood from Australia into China. You know, they actually pay for the carriage of the stuff all the way up to China. They've got the money. They can afford to fly food in from around the world. So this is part of the challenge that we've got, that bit by bit the, the, the food situation is changing, but we're not on top of it in a, in a really big strategic sense. You get a number of people who are, so to speak, nibbling away at various dimensions of it, but not this overall approach. Now, as I say, this um, group called the Commission for the Human Future based in Canberra, but it's not actually part of the the Australian government. So they have produced this very interesting report with a number of recommendations. So the Commission 
for the Human Future is a body of researchers and concerned citizens dedicated to finding and developing solutions to one of the greatest challenges in human history, the combination of catastrophic global threats that now confront humanity. So they're trying to save the world and they're doing it through this scientific research. So what they're looking at then is ways in which we can, for example, support, encourage and protect small and family-owned food producers. The total number of food producers is going down in this country. Because they're all getting bought out. They're getting bought out, exactly (laughs) it. They're getting bought out. And, of course, the the farm itself, uh, farm life is hard. Mm. Uh, People prefer to live in the regional areas or the big cities. And there's drought and and there is weather events. Yeah. And you don't have control over any of it. That's right. But that makes us more vulnerable to the food insecurity. And so they're talking about the need to protect the small and family-owned food producers. We need to have efficient, transparent water utilisation. Remember, we're getting all these foreign businesses buying up our water licences. And we need to drive nationwide transition towards increased availability, accessibility and affordability of nutritious, safe, whole foods and healthy eating practices. Ironically, we are living longer than ever before. Every year you live, the medical science will give you another three months. That's the good news. The bad news is that we're continuing to eat badly. We're not exercising enough and uh, we're not eating the right food. So that also means there's got to be a dimension to all of this. And so they say that there's a need to establish a food, fisheries and agriculture knowledge program which includes strategic vision and central coordination of the domestic research agenda, funding support to research efforts, and upscaled international engagement and export of research and technology. So it's a very useful document from the Commission for the Human Future. And the, you know, the problems that we've lived through with COVID, etc., have shown that we need to be doing far more to make sure we are food secure. Now we're lucky at the moment we are growing more food than we can consume. So it's a good export opportunity. And globally, of course, export, uh, globally, the agricultural industry is a major economic activity. But we need to um, put more effort into it. And so this report is looked at ways in which the Australian government could do that. What is the worst case scenario, Keith? I think the worst case scenario is that we don't do enough to ensure our own food. We continue to have farmers leaving the land and that eventually, uh, because you've got still the growing population and you've got people moving up the food chain, uh, we, we could end up with food riots. You know, we've seen them in Syria, which helped provoke the Syrian civil war. So you do get food riots in other places around the world. Now, whether we would get them in this country, I've, I've no idea. But the, the problem is that we will end up with people with all sorts of health issues if they're not getting access to cheap, nutritious food. And so this we've had a warning, I think, with COVID that we've been lucky because the food stockpiles have been high during this crisis. The international food prices have been low and trade has not been affected. Even though we're not allowing tourists into this country, we're still importing and exporting goods, and that includes food stuff. So we've got through the COVID crisis without major food problems. But 
My argument is that we're going to end up with more and more of these crises as they occur, maybe zoonetic, which is what the COVID is coming from the animal kingdom, or whether it's from other climate-inducing issues. Who knows? But we're going to end up with more crises, and we've got to be looking at how we can make sure that we retain food security in this country. And we ought to have more uh, mentions of food security in the media. It's not something they focus on, Keith. It's not something that most people are aware of unless probably they do a lot of reading. And they take it for granted. But that, that's the worry that, that I have about society generally, that we're being entertained to death, that we're getting so much entertainment coming through and it's diverting us from these big issues. And the Romans would say 2,000 years ago, yep, that's how you control people, bread and circuses. Feed them and entertain them. And that keeps them out of politics. I've never heard that saying, but it makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Listener.